Hard work, a positive attitude, and a whole lot of luck. According to record executive Scooter Braun, that's what it takes to make it in the music business. Braun, a college dropout who discovered Justin Bieber on YouTube, now manages some of the biggest stars on the planet, an opportunity which he says he will never take for granted. In this episode of Influencers, Ithaca Holdings Chairman and SB Projects founder Scooter Braun joins me before his 40th birthday as he reflects on his family, his success, and what he can do to help make the world a better place. Hello, everyone. I'm Andy Serwer, and this is Influencers. And welcome to our guest, Scooter Braun, who is the chairman of Ithaca Holdings and the manager of top acts like Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande. Scooter, great to see you. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? So you're quarantined, just like the rest of us. What's your situation? Um, look, look, I, 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 feel, I very, feel very fortunate. fortunate. I'm one of the lucky, one of the lucky ones. ones. And that's why I think uh, I'm trying to make sure everyone else is OK. Um, the roughest thing that happened to me is my three-year-old split my lip, and uh, I'm probably in need desperately of a haircut. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I'm really just thinking about our employees, our, my friends, and trying to make sure everyone else is okay because I'm in a fortunate position. And, and I, think it's, I think if you are, you need to acknowledge that. We're all getting closer to our families and learning about grooming and all that good stuff, like you said. So talk to us a little bit about the company and what you're doing right now. How are you managing things at this point? Um, you know, everything is remote, just like everyone else. We actually closed down our offices pretty early. Um, my wife, because of her background uh, with the charity, she runs Fuck Cancer. She had a lot of relationships in healthcare and was very um, early on, on uh, COVID. And we shut down probably two weeks before everyone else did. Uh, Thanks to modern technology, we've been able to really work um, in a very efficient way. I think it will dramatically change what happens when we go back, uh, realizing how efficient we've been able to be in this situation. And more than anything, um, still doing my weekly staff calls, still working with my artists, but spending more quality time with my loved ones than ever before. And I know that my employees are doing the same and my artists are doing the same. And I think that the real tragedy is if we came out on the other side of this and didn't acknowledge that and make a change. So what's the business like right now, Scooter, and where is it going to end up? I mean, you know, no live touring right now. Uh, podcasts are down. Streaming is up. What are the trends? Look, I, I think we're in a, in, a, in a lucky position because we're diversified. So, you know, from our film and TV side of our business, we were out of production on a bunch of different shows. One of our shows, Dave, um, with our client, Little Dicky, we, we produced that with him, uh, was a big hit for FX and Hulu. So quarantine actually was very successful for us there. Um, the record label that we were uh, able to purchase, Big Machine, is up 8% um, in this time because streaming is up. So consumption is up there. And actually, very interesting enough in music, the genre that has won the most in consumption is actually country music. Um, so that, that's been a very, very good thing for our business. Live is down, but I think things happen for a reason in certain respects. And for us, while live is down, we put home studios in every one of our artists' houses. Um, our engineers are able to work remotely, and we've just been making albums. 
And I think that this quiet time has been a, a really creative time for all the acts that we work with. And my belief when it comes to live is that everything, you know, I'm waiting till at least next summer. I think there needs to be one big moment that calls us out as a community and tells us it's okay to go back to the way that we were. Look, I think social distancing is going to be something we live with moving forward. I think, you know, there will be a lot of people who say, don't hug me. There are a lot of people who want to do a fist bump or an elbow bump instead of a handshake moving forward. There'll be a lot of people who are perfectly home, you know, fine being home Skyping or Zooming um, and how they, they operate moving forward. Uh, and, and I think that travel budgets when it comes to companies are going to go way, way down because what we're doing now is going to become extremely, and it already is, socially acceptable. You used to think you had to fly across the country to show respect to close the deal. I think people perfectly respect this because they know if you're doing this, you're with your family and all of us are having this experience worldwide together. Um, when it comes to music, there's a really great article in The Atlantic that Dave Grohl just wrote um, from the Foo Fighters that yeah. blew me away. Um, where he calls for what live music brings to our lives. And I think that that's going to happen again. I thought there was another really interesting article I read in uh, Bloomberg that was really talking a lot about Carnival Cruise Lines. And it was saying all these horrible things. But at the end of the article, it pointed out that all of the people interviewed chose to not cancel their reservations, but just extend them into the future and wait till they can get on a cruise again. You know, right now we're going to adjust for the future, but we will want these things back in our lives. And I think live music is something that um, will be back and there'll be adjustments. There'll be people who treat it differently, but there will always be those people who want to be together. And I think if we live in a society that starts to take these things seriously, we can overcome them. So you mentioned this recording from home and performing from home, these home studios, which we're all witnessing and participating in. It's really cool. What are the artists, your artists, learning about this, and what are you learning about it? How are these things evolving? Um, you know, my artists, a lot of them have always liked to record from home anyway. Technology is headed in that direction. Some of them miss being in the studio. Uh, we just put out a song called Stuck With You, where both Justin recorded from home and Ariana recorded from home, and then through you know, different Zoom sessions, we were able to put it all together. Uh, you know, Even the writing session of that song was done over Zoom. So um, I, I would say uh, the world has changed. Technology has allowed us to do things in a way that we've never, ever done before. Um, so I, I think it will continue. I mean, it already did continue. This is nothing new. I'll give you a great example. The song Crazy by Gnarls Barkley, amazing song. Danger Mouse and, and CeeLo actually were never in the same place. Even back then, a decade ago, longer, they actually did that over email and were never in the same studio. You know, there's a lot of great records and great duets and great collaborations that have already been done because of technology from distances. So, you know, I think uh, the music business is prepared when it comes to production for something like this. Um, and I think our world has changed forever, but it does not mean that we will not come back. Gnarls Barkley, that's, that goes back. And I know both of us have spent time in Atlanta at Emory University. In fact, I did some time there as well. So uh, I know that scene with CeeLo and all that going back. So I saw that Stuck With You video. That was awesome. I mean, it's a, it was a, um, a, a charity kind of thing, right? And so yeah. how, tell us the story about how that came together. Um, a friend of mine, Freddie Wexler, is a really great writer and producer, and he, funny enough, is quarantining with his, his pregnant wife, Olivia, and Gian, who is the producer of that record. 
And um, they decided to quarantine together because Gian's one of his best friends. And they started coming up with a concept. Um, Freddie reached out to me, you know, about the concept and was going through it. Um, we started talking about, we need, to, he goes, what are you looking for? And I said, I'm looking for like a great love ballad about being quarantined, about the frustrations of it and, how, you know, choosing to be with these people. And one morning he woke up and looked at his wife and he said, I'm stuck with you. And it clicked for him. And he said, I have the song. And we started working on it, brought Ariana and Justin into the fold. Um, and the song really took life. And uh, there were a lot of different contributions from different places. Um, but the song took life. And then Ariana said, okay, I want to cut it. Ariana cut it. Justin cut it. Ariana heard Justin's parts, went back in and harmonized to his parts. He added more couple ad-libs after hearing her parts. Song's done. I said, hey, you know what? Let's make a music video. Let's release the instrumental a week early when we announce the song is coming. And we'll take our two editors and we will put a hashtag on Twitter, say, put up your video, slow dancing with your family or doing anything with your family to this instrumental. Put the hashtag up with a disclaimer. Thousands of videos submitted. Our team just brought all the videos in. The editors came in. Myself and uh, Fredo and Ariana and Justin and, um, and Rory were up every night till 3 o'clock in the morning sifting through these videos, making changes, adding notes, calling friends. And we put together this video in three days. Um, and all of the money goes to uh, families of first responders. And I, I'm grateful to the writers, the producers, and Ariana and Justin for, for lending their voices to something special. And I think we're going to raise a lot of money for people that are making a lot of sacrifices for us. Yeah, it's super cool. So hearing what you did there and just listening to you describe the process, what do you tell people what you do? And what would you tell your kids? So what do you do, Scooter, for a living? Get lucky over and over again. Come on. Um, hmm. No, I, I would say, look, at the end of the day, I try to be an entrepreneur. I, I you know, our, our mantra in our company is um, inspire the world to try. We try to wake up every morning and say, let's do something new and unique. Um, never get complacent. And I live a very unique life where I get to be a part of a lot of really genius creative people's process. And I get to add, you know, a little creativity when I can, but at, and we try to add execution. Um, but I really don't have a great way of describing what I've, I've done or what I do other than saying, um, other than saying that I get to be a witness and a, a cog in the wheel to a lot of really brilliant people. I mean, you met Justin or discovered him really when he was like 12 years old. And I, I saw you said that he and Ariana are like your kids, right? I mean, what is it like working with those guys and developing their careers? I mean, look, it's like family. You know, we have a very unique relationship. Um, you know, we, we've truly grown up together. You know, I was 25 years old when Justin came into my life. Um, it was only a few short years later when Ariana came into my life. Uh, and all the different artists that we work with. So they've made me a better man, a better person. Um, it's not the best advice I've had in helping guide their careers have never really come from other managers. It's mostly come from parents and coaches and, and you know, people who gave me the advice of how to be someone in their life because they're so talented already and so brilliant. What my job is to do is help with the execution and be a safe place where they can go get real advice. Um, and we push each other, really like family. Um, and we've been through really unique things together from dealing with addiction 
to, you know, dealing with terrorist attacks to all, you know, things that really make you come together with a group of people. Um, and I'm incredibly grateful to all the artists that I work with. I'm incredibly grateful to the team because I promise you my name's on the door. but I stand on the shoulders of a lot of people. I work with a lot of really, really brilliant people. I think you're only as good as your team. Um, and my dad was a, a basketball coach in high school. And he told me something I kind of live with now. One, you can't complain unless you're willing to do the work. You know, so I try to always work as hard as anybody on the team and set the example. The other thing my dad always used to say to me is, you know, the wins are theirs, the losses are mine. That's what makes a great coach. And I think that that's what my job is. My job is to make sure they get the wins. And if there's a loss, that's on me. And you had a little dust up recently with the chart makers and controversy about what's a number one video. And how did that play out? You guys had to like sort of circle the wagons a little bit on that one. I mean, look, I, I'm not going to speak on it because I think it, it doesn't deserve any more time than it's gotten. Um, I think that we've always done things above board. Um, I find it unfortunate if anyone else wants to discredit that uh, for their own agenda. You know, we've all been in tight races. I've, I've won some, we've lost some. Um, but I think, you know, you shouldn't, what I've learned over time, like sometimes you don't get the Grammy nomination. Sometimes you don't get the number one. Sometimes you don't get this. But what you should be grateful for is that we get to do this for a living and that other people get to do this for a living. And what I'm going to do is while I might be upset about something, I'm never going to discredit someone else because they're putting in that hard work and they're putting in their creative process. And, and that's what I'm going to focus on. The real winner here for me is the First Responders Fund. Um, right. and, and, and that's the, that's where my focus is going to lie. Hey, what about working with the big tech companies? Uh, you know, everyone's talking about them increasingly having market clout. You're talking about Apple and Amazon. You've got to work with Spotify. What is it like frenemizing with those companies? Look, I find them to be really great partners. Um, you know, it's Apple has been always a great partner to us. Um, I think Tim and Eddie are incredible leaders, Oliver at Apple Music. They've always been good partners. Scott, I have a great relationship with Zane, who does their interviews. He's, I think he's one of the smartest guys in the music business as far as knowing how to speak to an artist. Um, Daniel, what he's built at Spotify, has revolutionized and in a way saved our business. Um, and then you look at Amazon, who just matched every single download of ours and gave to charity. You know, We're in a time as a society that we can quarantine and actually still get things that we need because of a business Jeff Bezos built. Um, so to me, I think we always got to keep each other accountable and I push them and they push me. But as far as platforms go, they've given me tools, YouTube, all these companies have given me tools that allow me to be home with my family and still be able to do my job on a global scale. So for me, my job is to keep everyone accountable and push, 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 because so many people are inundating them with requests. So I got to make sure that we're seen, but I'm incredibly grateful to these partners because they're providing me. Like I say, I would do this for free. I get paid for the bullshit, but 90% of it, I would just do for free. The fact that this gets to be my life, that I get to work with these people, that I get to be involved with these stories. I, I told a friend of mine who's a basketball player. We've been friends a long time from the beginning of his career and beginning of mine. We were talking and I said that when I was a kid, I saw Carl Lewis after the Olympics walking through the uh, airport. And my brother and I kept running past him, stopping. He'd walk past us and we'd run past him again. 
and we'd yell, we're the fastest man in the world. <laughs> and, and Carl saw us and he smiled and he made like a move like this. And we all like kind of scrambled and he, he giggled. I've never forgot that the rest of my life. It was a forever moment in my life. I told my friend that the other day and I said, our, our every day is someone else's forever. As something that happens to us on a daily basis is someone else's forever story. So we can't take any of this for granted. And, and what we should do is just return it with kindness and make sure that we're giving back. And that's what we tried to do recently. You know, maybe people out there are listening to this and they're saying, well, he's just saying, I'm just sitting here on this couch and this is easy. Why can't everyone else do it, though? I mean, what, what is it you think that you bring that makes you successful when a lot of us aren't? I think first and foremost is luck. Um, I think Howard Marks is one of the smartest people out there. Um, and if you read his memos from Oak Tree, they're always brilliant. But one of them talks about this idea of, of luck. And anyone who says that they make their own luck is lying. You know, I was born in 1981 in New York City. I'm the first brawn in my family born in this country. Right there, I won the lottery. I could have been born in a third world country. I could have been born in a different situation. The fact that I was born in New York City in 1981 you know, and I was chosen out of, you know, all the things swimming around, <laughs> like I'm lucky out the gate and what's continued to happen for me. I have a lot of friends who work really hard and it hasn't happened for them. And what I tell them all the time is success and failure live next door to each other. You have to keep going. Sometimes it happens for people early, like it did for me. And I'm fortunate. I'm trying to make sure I keep giving back. Cause I don't think you get blessings unless you give them, but other people, it just takes time. And they got to stop watching the Mark Zuckerberg story thinking it's supposed to happen when you're in your 20s. You know, it takes time and you got to just keep striving, keep striving. But I think the most important thing when you say, why has it happened for me is what does that mean? It's always relative. And I think you have to, before you start in the race, you got to write down what's important to you. What are you actually trying to achieve? Because if Jeff Bezos woke up with my success tomorrow, he might think, what the hell happened? This is a disaster. <laughs> like, you know, but if one of my friends I grew up with who's not in the same situation, they might love to be in my situation. So it's always relative. For me, I think what this quarantine and this quiet time for the whole world has done is made us reflect on where we are in this world, how sensitive we all are and compromised we all are, and what do we want to get out of it? And for me, I realize how incredibly fortunate I am to be in the position I'm in. And the whole reason I did this was to build something for my family. So I need to spend more time with them when this is over. I always try to before, but there is more time that I could spend. Life is too short, and I need to make sure that I'm giving back constantly and being around my kids as much as possible while they still want to hang out with me. Sounds like you're doing a lot of reflecting. I also love the fact that you read Howard Marks. Man, that's up my alley. That's fantastic. And you talk about Bezos, Tim Cook, Zuckerberg. What business leaders do you admire the most, Scooter? Um. I really uh, admire Lucy. I admire Lucy Grange in the music business. I think you know he's a family man. He's built an amazing business. What he did with uh, Universal and EMI to what he's recently done now, but the value he's built for us with Tencent. Um, I think Lucy's built an incredible business, and he's a brilliant businessman. I think that Howard Marks is someone who I really do admire, um, and and someone that I really fortunate I've gotten to know and has been someone who's taught me a lot. Um, and then David Geffen is someone I read about when I was 19 years old, became friendly with him when I was 30, and he has lived up to every expectation I have of who I'd want in a mentor. Um, and it, the fact that I have access to David has been incredible. 
Um, I got to talk to a guy named um, Peter Kaufman recently from Glen Air, who I thought has built an amazing business and really is an interesting guy. Uh, but the greatest teacher in my life have been my parents and my grandparents. Um, were they the greatest business people in the whole world? No, that's not even the business they were in. My grandmother worked in a sweatshop while my dad grew up. Um, but character is what they taught me. And they're heroes in that respect of 10 times over. Um, and I think that they gave me a foundation that allowed me and my siblings to have a head start. And, uh, and I think I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that. And to go back to you know, your other question about why me um, and what makes me different, my answer to you is that I try to always put in the work. You know, I'm, I'm going to do things wrong. I'm constantly evolving. All we all are. But I try to always put in the work and I try to keep things interesting. And what I try not to do is count other people's money. And I try to look in the mirror as my only competition. I'm not really interested in weighing myself against others. I'm weighing myself against myself. Um, and that's why my I wanted to say that only because you said when other people are looking, well, why not me? And other people worked hard. I don't think they should look at me as the reason why they should do it. Or they don't should look at Howard or David or Zuckerberg or Tim or like whoever that person is. You need to look in the mirror as a human being and say, what do I want out of life? And what is my potential? Let me pursue that. Because if you're chasing someone else, you're always going to be disappointed. Right. Hey, let me shift gears a little bit and ask you about politics. Country's pretty divided up right now. What do you think about Donald Trump and the job he's doing? I just think it's, it's, it's more than Donald Trump. I think the entire climate on both sides is very frustrating for me. Um, I, I don't think you should be yelling at the same people you claim to protect. And that goes for both sides. I think real leadership is about humbling yourself in the moment and about making even the person who disagrees with you feel valued so they can hear your voice. Um, I don't understand how a virus in healthcare has become a political issue. I don't understand how health is a political issue. Um, I, I really feel at this point that our leaders need to stop worrying about just their base and realize that we're now being put in a position by the environment, by the world. The planet is now teaching us a lesson. It is kicking our ass. And we need to figure out what kind of leaders want to bring us together more than separate us. Because we've seen what separating and pointing blame and pointing fingers. History has taught us that lesson way too many times. And it's sad. Credit Scott King always said each generation has to learn to fight the fight all over again. It's sad. We're allowing it to repeat. We've seen it so many times. And it's, it's not as dangerous when you're in an upswing. But when you're in a recession or a depression, history has shown us these kind of feelings from our leadership can lead to very, very dangerous times. And I really, really think you know, our, our leaders need to step up and figure out how to stop this feeling of division. And that's my biggest frustration with Donald Trump. My biggest frustration is that he, um, I don't think like many people in Los Angeles, everything he says is awful. I don't think everything the man does has to be the worst thing of all time. I think the problem is even when he does something good, he finds a way to ruin it with his rhetoric. He finds a way to separate us and divide us. And I also have a problem that if I'm going to put my five-year-old in front of the television, I shouldn't have to worry when the president of the United States is on TV that my five-year-old might come back and say something to me where I have to teach him a lesson of morality because the president has taught him the wrong lesson. I shouldn't have to explain to my five-year-old when the leader of our nation is on television 
that you don't talk about Mexicans that way, that you don't treat Muslims that way, that you don't talk about people in these large generalizations. And that is my biggest issue. He has, he's a job not only as a leader, but as a figurehead for our morality. And I think that's where he's disappointing me the most. Are there any politicians or political leaders that you particularly want to call out in terms of doing a good job? Uh, no, I mean, look, I, I am going to uh, be putting my support um, whenever I put it in the future. I think people kind of know where it's going to lie. Um, I don't, I, it's, I've talked so much about politics recently that it, it's not really specifically about any leader. It's about me telling both sides, people want my opinion. I think both sides need to look at themselves in the mirror and kind of say, how do we figure out how to bring the nation together and not make this so much about, about us and as individuals? How do we stop saying, well, I'm worried about my constituency, you know, if I'm seen with the wrong person? I think people are desperately, desperately at this point looking for real leadership and hoping that that leadership makes them feel valued and allows them to have a conversation with their neighbor where they can have a conversation. You know, I, I deal with musicians a lot of the time. There are times when my artists disagree with me, where I could easily, this is what management has actually taught me. You're taught as a kid that when someone does something wrong, you think it's wrong, you strike it down. That's actually the wrong lesson. If someone's doing something wrong, they usually feel justified in why they're doing it. They don't think it's wrong. So what you should do is have a conversation, figure out a place where you can find value in something that they said, honor them, put value on that. And then once you put value on that, then they feel respected. You can have a conversation and find a common ground. Yeah, having said that, I, I have to ask you, uh, Scooter, about Taylor Swift. And she's lashed out at you. You guys have not been on the same page. Um, what would you like to say to her? And why can't this get resolved, do you think? Because it kind of welled up again recently. I appreciate you asking the question because as a, as a good reporter, you're going to have to. Um, uh, I have kept the same line that I will continue. I have the utmost respect for Taylor. I have the utmost respect um, for every artist and every person. I, I be believe people are inherently good. Um, but that conversation, as I've hoped from day one, I hope will be a private conversation because I think misunderstandings come when there is silence between groups. So, Scooter, tell me about your wife and what she's doing a little bit with regard to fighting COVID-19. Yeah, my wife uh, is, is working with an amazing team um, looking into the space of, uh, of contact tracing. And uh, they're going to be announcing some great stuff, too, and it's all from a nonprofit's place. These are, uh, you know, tracing is going to be a way that we save lives. And I am, uh, I'm the dummy in the household. She's the genius and she's the real hero. She's done this with fuck cancer. She's done it with so many different times where she really put, dedicates her life to, to helping people. And she's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Um, so I'm excited for people to see what she's been working on because I think it's going to help us out in our new world tremendously. So how do you see us getting out of this scooter in terms of you know, the economy recovering and just in terms of morale and how we're living our lives and us being, you know, keeping it all together, quite frankly. Look, I, I think we're, we have hard times ahead of us. Um, you know, I can speak from this place of like, oh, we're going to be okay, but I'm not in the same position as a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of people who 
have been living check to check. Um, so many households in the United States are one medical emergency away from from bankruptcy and, and disaster. And this is putting a tremendous toll on those families. Um, so what I think we need to do is, number one, thank God the private sector is involved, because I think that, that will get us a vaccine a lot faster. Um, I think that we need to figure out ways to fight this. I think we need to be responsible with social distancing. Um, and I think we need to, beyond what the government is doing, I think we need to look out for our fellow man. Um, and we need to make sure our neighbors are okay from a mental health standpoint. Just check on your friends. Ask them if they're doing okay, if they need someone to speak to. Um, make sure people have, even if it's just on Zoom or, or Skype, some kind of way of contact with another human being. Um, I've, I've been doing this kind of quarantine party thing at night on Zoom and FaceTime. And one of my friends reached out to me and she's alone and she's like, this thing is saving me. And I'm surrounded by my kids and my wife. And, you know, there are people out there who feel very isolated right now. We need to make sure they're okay. And then as far as the economy goes, the private sector and, and CEOs have a real responsibility. Um, I don't think it's okay to whine about being compromised when your employees are being devastated. And I'm a firm believer that if salaries need to be cut or people need to be fired, the CEO should drop their salary in this one year down to zero to make sure that their employees are okay. I've made it very clear from my employees day one that if there's going to be any salary cuts, it will be mine first. Um, and I, I think especially with these so-called unicorns, they have the biggest responsibility because they've raised money over and over and over again. Some of these companies have never shown a profit, yet the, you know, the chairman of these companies have been able to take so much money off the table, whether it be in secondary or in IPOs, yet they've never made a profit, some of these companies. You have a responsibility to your employees if you're living such a glamorous life that maybe you don't you know, get that extra luxury. Maybe you get compromised. Maybe things feel a little bit tight for you, but your employees are not in the same position. And I think we as leaders have an absolute responsibility to make sacrifices so that our employees can feel safe in these times as long as possible. And Scooter, finally, uh, last question. This show is called Influencers, and I'm curious as to how you see using your influence on the world. Um, it's a funny question. So. I used to talk a lot about legacy, and as I got older, I thought about it. And um, someone I admired uh, said to me in a hundred years, they won't remember you, so they sure as hell won't remember me. And I started laughing, and it was one of the best pieces of advice, because you know you gotta humble yourself. And what I realized is my name is not gonna be remembered. Regardless of what I do, what I achieve, it's not gonna be my name. In a hundred years, there'll be somebody else. My impact can be remembered. you know. And I'll be dead, and that needs to be enough for me. So. My influence on the world and what I want to do is I just want to make sure I left it better than where I found it. And if I influence people and something that I did along the way impacts lives so that lives are a little bit better, I don't need people to remember my name. I just want to know that when I close my eyes and it's all said and done, that I gave my kids and my grandchildren someday like the best of me. And, they, and, and I had the greatest experience, like my favorite poem, Ithaca by Kafafi. It's all about the journey. When you finally arrive to the island of Ithaca, if you find her poor, she did not fool you. You know, it's always about the journey. So I want to live the best journey I have. And when it's all said and done, I hope to, uh, I hope to leave an impact and, and make the world a little bit better than where I found it. And that's about the best I can do. And that's why it's Ithaca Holdings then. Yeah. 
Got it. I was wondering where that came from. Scooter Braun, chairman of Ithaca Holdings, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Be safe. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time.